In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of love. It is Easter Day. Phew. It's been a long Lent. A Lent during which Omicron virus of COVID-19 peaked in Wellington. During Lent we passed two full years of pandemic restrictions. During Lent most of the horrific war in Ukraine has taken place and continues today. There are people not getting surgery and other treatment they need because of the pandemic. Quite a number of children have lost months and possibly a year of education because they either don't relate to online learning or they're not supervised and supported enough. We learned during then that food cost inflation reached 5.9%. Long-term mortgage rates are back above 5%. People are tired and many are fed up. Is it hopeless though? Are the losses too great? Is it going to go on for the rest of the year? Should we be depressed? Think what it must have been like for the followers of Jesus. Although the big crowds dropped away during the latter parts of his three-year ministry, there was still a loyal group. They had believed that he would somehow lead them out of the misery that they had and so many of their contemporaries in, ancient, in the ancient world lived in, where simply surviving was a struggle, rather than security. They put their faith in him, but over 48 hours he was publicly condemned, utterly disrespected, mocked, beaten and killed, slowly by torture, in full public view. They must have felt humiliated. They must have felt they had put too much faith in him. They must have felt let down, bereft, gutted, hopeless. Some may have felt ashamed. Some may have been traumatised. Some may have given up. But there were key women Luke tells us about. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women, it says. Whatever was going on inside their heads and inside their hearts, they marshalled themselves to prepare spices and take them to the tomb. John's Gospel refers to the mixture of spice being myrrh and aloes. Myrrh is a fragrant gum resin and is used in perfumes, medicines and incense. Aloes come from the juice of the leaves of certain plants, of which aloe vera is probably one or was probably one at the time of the cross. It was also used in perfumes and medicines. Myrrh and aloes were used as a fragrance to counteract the smell of decomposing bodies. The women would have been mourning, sad, upset, and carrying out the rituals around the burial. According to Luke, they arrived with their spices and found the stone rolled away. Tombs in ancient Israel were often carved into the rock. You could stoop and walk inside many of the tombs, and there was usually a bench if the body was laid on. The tombs were sealed with a big rock to keep animals and 
this away. They would be rolled back when women arrived to apply, to apply the spices. It says, They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. That would have been startling. They would have been very surprised and perplexed. They came to anoint the body of Jesus. They came to his tomb. They came to the right one, but it was empty. They clearly came expecting to see Jesus' body or corpse. This must have been very perplexing indeed. But they didn't have long to be perplexed, because the story goes on to say they became terrified. It says there were two men in dazzling clothes. In Matthew's Gospel it was an angel. In Mark's it was a young man, and there was no reference to anyone being inside the tomb in John's Gospel. The women bowed their faces to the ground, and the two men said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? And then went on to explain that he had said in Galilee that he would be crucified and rise again after three days. So having been terrified, the women soon remembered the teaching Jesus had shared with them. And they were reassured. So they rushed to the eleven apostles, remember Judas had left them. And it says to all the rest, so there were others there with the eleven and they hurried to tell them the amazing news. They would have been filled with hope and expectancy, only to be deflated by the majority of blogs who thought their story was an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So the women, these faithful followers of Jesus, and the first to understand and report the news of new life, had been through a roller coaster of emotions in one morning. They began mourning with great sadness, and they were startled and surprised that the stone had been rolled away, and there was no body to be found. Before long they were terrified by the appearance of two men, who I must say we tend to think of as angels. Then they, reassured, then they were reassured by the explanation, and in great faith and abundant hope, shared the news with the brothers. The bros on the whole didn't get it. So they would have been deflated again. However, there was a brother in Luke's narrative who was either convinced or had been provoked to at least check the women's story. He was Peter. And I reckon he was probably half convinced as, and was not going to wait around debating with the other guys. He went straight to the evidence. It says, but Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the living clothes by themselves. He then went home, amazed at what had happened. Now these are the nearest we have to eyewitness accounts. They are told differently in each gospel, but there is a coherent underlying consistency in the reports. Each report clearly expected the women to find a corpse which required anointing to mitigate the smell of decomposition. And each report points to the utter surprise of the women, the disbelief of the men, 
and later the confirmation by all that the body was not there, and then they report resurrection experiences. We also know from our reading this morning from the book of Acts, which by the way was also written by Luke, that the heart of the preaching and the stories of the early, that the early Christians told was the assertion that Jesus rose from the dead. The apostles and many eyewitnesses to the events were young, alive, and around at the time. So it does give the story some reasonable credibility. Now I can't explain how all this happened. It requires faith. Dead people don't normally come back to life again. But these were not ordinary circumstances. The evidence from the onlookers is strong and was sufficiently convincing to contemporaries inside and beyond Judea and beyond Judaism to lay the foundations for one of the world's great religions. That belief has sustained countless millions of people across two millennia of history in just about every culture of the planet. It is fair to say that faith today in this great story is waning in our source of Western countries. But that have, may have more to do with the hubris in modern secular societies that view life from their own sense of entitlement and self-interest, rather than those of others. These same societies continue to allow greenhouse gas emissions to grow despite the very harmful damage they create. They also allow the market to destroy the lives of 20 to 30 percent of their citizens with multiple inequalities. They certainly don't get it right all of the time, and they may not prove to be the best judges of the great gospel story over time. Whatever we believe about the unusual events on that first Easter day, and it is fair to say that Christians vary in their belief from considering it simply myth to a belief in bodily resurrection and every possibility in between the two extremes. Something pretty amazing happened and it has significance for us today. Out of death came life. Out of suffering came great humility. And out of despair came hope. These are the essential messages of Easter. Wherever there is pain in the world, there is still hope, whether it's in the life of individuals or epic suffering as in Ukraine. That is why in this service we eat his broken body and drink his spilt blood as we take the bread and wine. In his death, he identified with suffering everywhere. Through us, he wants to bring new life and hope. This means that we're not only receivers of hope, but also the bringers of hope. No matter how bad the circumstances are for us personally or for others, we're called, especially on Easter Day, to remember that we need to be receivers of God's great hope for whatever our circumstances are. And more than that, we're called to be bringers of hope to those in suffering or despair. We bring hope by acting in their interests and for them, both practically and in our conversation. 
So at the end of an agonizing Lent, and more than two years of a pandemic, we are called to be resilient, receivers of new life ourselves, and bringers of hope and liberation to others, and the big problems of the planet. For the people we know, there may be problems of illness, depression, broken relationships, economic hardship, or whatever. At the larger level, there is the hopelessness around climate change, war, global poverty, sexual orientation inequalities, gender inequities, and racism. As Easter people, we've been given a great gift of new life that is open to all. We need to receive it into our own lives with gratitude and take it to our communities and friends by serving them and their hardships with love. In the big issues, we need to work for universal hope against the demons of destruction like climate change and all forms of violence. That, in my view, is what we celebrate with Jesus when we celebrate Easter. He gives us life, not to squander it in protective oases of religion, but to be active as his hands and feet, humbly serving the people around us, enabling hope where there is sadness and despair, and working with those who strive to make the world a better place. Some try to do this alone. The Easter story suggests it's better to work together and to draw on the life of the one who paid a hefty price with his torture and death. We're strengthened by an inner life of love that generates health and hope for others. These, I believe, are the great assertions of Easter Day.